So this is what you get. And no, it's not going to end today. I can't tell you it's going to end tomorrow. I don't know when it's going to end. But it's for y'all to start. Hello. I have returned. Welcome to a special edition of No Face Cuts. My name is Corey McCarthy, and I am not the guy who is capitalizing on the pain and the anger that many people of color and some white folks are feeling right now. I'm not that guy. I'm, I am that guy who is very numb, you know, really trying to remain strong for a lot of people. I know what it's like to, to always like wonder about my life and how it's going to end for me. If it's going to be at the hands of somebody else, but nobody needs an extra way to die. You know what I mean? Diseases are a real thing. COVID, flu, um, debilitating body parts. I don't think no one needs a prevalent, an extra prevalent way to die. Heart disease. We don't need another way to die. And we don't need to die We don't want to die publicly. We don't want to die at the knee of somebody else. We don't want to get chased. And, you know, and and when our kids die, and this is everybody, when our kids die, shoot, man, we die too. You know, I know people who's lost their children to senseless violence or racial injustice, and they died as well. They're just a shell of themselves. Now, this is a basketball podcast, but I will help you realize how this is connected to basketball, how we do not leverage black kids, Latino kids, Asian kids, Native American kids, and white kids sharing the game of basketball. We don't leverage it because that relationship is temporary. The there, As long as there is a socialist approach to capitalism, we will not be able to make sense out of this. So I'll give you this much. For all of the interracial activities across the race for that basketball presents, eventually it goes away. It goes away. The more, because there's a cap on the performance of the black kids and the trajectory lives beyond basketball for white kids, white players, white parents, white folks making money off of basketball. Because the closer you get to where the real money is, and the real privileges, there are not any black people left. So the job has to be done while we are working together. 
while the kids are passing the ball to each other, the significance of passing the ball for the goal of scoring, that's what makes basketball so powerful. And why it works amongst the races is is because on one side, you aren't practicing. White folks don't get to practice sort of their, a lot of them, don't get to practice some of their white supremacist strategies or practices. And the and the black players get to feel like they belong to something and they're not being targeted. High school and middle school kids don't really ra- they can't really rationalize what's happening. They think that these killings and lynchings are are, are just unfortunate situations or they're sad and they don't even know why they're sad. And the reason they don't is because on our end, right? I, I, hey, we don't urban schools, right? I work in an urban school, right? We don't prepare our students well for this and we should because it could kill them. And, and they feel bad, but the reality is they're not really that connected because we did not provide them with the knowledge base to say, hey, this could be me. This could be me. So if you are not a person of color, who, uh, particularly a black person, and you want to, to do something, you got to improve on your empathetic lens. You 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 gotta show your children more. You have the you have the greatest analogy in front of you. You have the best metaphors in front of you in basketball. Man, that hurt, man. That hurt. That knee on that neck. And to it was almost like they were experiencing joy in hearing that man beg and squeal for his life. And what most people missed is the fact that he knew he was going to die. He knew those men could kill me at any point. They don't care who could see. They don't care if it was on tape. They knew that there is an opportunity to kill a black man and there's a possibility that they may not get convicted for it or they may get some pay for it. That is a fact. That is, that is a fact. You talk about black on black crime, you know, and, you know, dudes, are, I seen black dudes, you know, in the hood robbing other black people and a white person walks by unscathed. You want to know why they're not getting robbed? Because the people who are committing the crimes very well know our people, black people as well, they very well know they could get off of killing a black person. They know that that they could, they it may not even get solved. This 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 is this is deep. So what is your role? What is the role of us who are in the game right now who are working through this 
we better understand our responsibility as a black man coming from poverty and, and, and all black folks, right? If you come from poverty, we don't need privilege to trigger our trauma about having nothing. Because not it's not that we want to be. We just are triggered and our trauma is triggered by privilege. Because poverty is trauma. Poverty ages you. Because there's always a constant threat. I just tweeted on my Twitter that the burden of being black is like walking around in zero degree temperature with a wet, with wet clothes on. Freezing. Wet clothes on. And you really can't even, there's no immediate fix for it because when you take, when, when, when you go to seek warmth, it, it's like the pain of frostbite. Eventually you'll feel better temporarily, but you still got the wet clothes on in zero degree temperature. And when you go get some help, it still burns. I know people think, hey, we got, you know, we have opportunity, you know, to have something. Black folks, they, they're just wilding out because, you know, we give them an education. This is America. Opportunity almost feels mythical if you are poor. You you got to work two jobs, can't spend any time with your kids. Can't afford tutoring. Can't afford SAT prep. You can't have a say in your schools, in your child's school vertical alignment. You have to trust that their educators are culturally competent and who your child is matters to that educator. And then you have these standardized tests that interrupt the journey of kids towards some sort of social or economical cap economic capital. We could debate if that's intentional. Because if I'm grooving in math and I, I and I got a and I, and I finally get it in February, in, in January, and in February, now nah, we got to teach to this test. What are we doing? This is all part of the game. We can't opt out. We're we're broke. <laughs> we can't opt out of educate out of poor education. We just got to be fortunate. And then people are mad. You know what you what you say to your kids. People are mad about the protests. What you mad about? Because it destroyed a target? No. Destroy that target. The owner of Target could afford it. And even in the protesting and the looting and the vi and the nobody's getting hurt, so it's not violence, right? But even within that, that actually shows how powerless we still remain. If we can still be criticized 
We can get treated that way, killed constantly, killed all the time, publicly embarrassed over and over. And all we take out is a target? Do you know what they do in protests in other countries? They take over government buildings. They, they create number one hits in other countries, attacking the government and establishments that flex on poor people. And y'all mad because the visual y'all can't stand the visual of black people with white people protesting in the streets and destroying a target? Because you put the crabs in the barrel. What do you think the crabs are going to do when the doors open up? They're going to grab things that they never had before. That they never had the privilege. No one who could afford anything in that Target went up in that Target and stole anything. And honestly, they're so weak, they didn't go harm anybody. It's still a weak protest. I'm not saying they should harm anyone. What I'm telling you is, it just speaks to how powerless we still are without allies and support where it matters. If you look at the Boston Tea Party and you don't think that was a form of protest, I mean, a million dollars worth of product was destroyed. White folks did that. They did that. You know what a million dollars was back then? And y'all mad at people looting in a Target and taking pictures in front of a CNN sign? I mean, come on. So you're mad at something that could be repaired or rebuilt? When... We are constantly on trial, publicly ravaged, chased, hunted. Victims, when people weaponize the law because they know. And I, I could hear the conviction in people's voices when they call cops on black people. I could hear it. What are you telling your sons and daughters because for the most part, schools aren't telling their kids anything. This is all of us. It is bad. It is bad. And it all seems to go away when they dribble a basketball. It's not going to go away. All it is is a four-year scholarship of peace. Between... between black folks and white folks playing basketball. If you play high school basketball, that's a four-year scholarship of not having these sort of things just rear their ugly head. And as long as you play basketball, you are kind of, because it, it happens in basketball, but you're not exempt, but you have a scholarship to not deal with racial inequity. Be careful what you tell your kids.
And I know the AAU culture, some folks love bringing their kids to the city because they want them to be tougher. Those, the, the kids you bring, they could get, they could come to the city and be tougher and learn. We can't do that. We call it, we getting the cops called on because the cops are call, getting called. Think about it, right? You it's an offering. I know parents do it to me all the time. They are, Hey, I just love when my kid goes in the city and plays. And I'm like, okay, I ain't, I ain't bringing my kid out there, <laughs> you know? And I'm going to say this. As black people, we have to lie to our children. Because how does it relate to basketball? Because I need you to tell your white children the right things. If you care. Unless you put the I have a black friend mindset on. Cool. Well, you better be careful what you tell your children. Black people aren't going anywhere. But going back to my point, as black people, we have to lie to our children and tell them they could achieve. You could do it. You could achieve. You could be rich. You could you could get a great education. You could be someone. You could get all the things that privilege has given white folks. That is a lie. That is a lie. That is a lie. And, and it's, it's deeper than white folks could understand because we're, I mean, celebrities, everybody looks up to celebrities, they're bleaching their skin. You know, they're, they're, they, they don't want, they want to run away. Everybody wants to run away from this, from, from black skin. Because there's no forum. There's no forum. There's no real capital. Black folks do have to do better. God damn, we need some, we need some strong white allies. Need some strong white allies. Because it, it, it is tough out here, man. You know, my son is was sleeping in his bed the other night and the other night, and I, I opened his door, and I just watched him sleep. And you know, and I gotta, and I, and the, and I, I didn't know why. And the reason I, I just go in there and I watch my son, my son's seventeen, man, and I watch him sleep because I don't want, I don't want to leave the house and not see my son again. I don't. And I know people think I'm reaching. I know I, I could see I could see right through some of y'all, man. Yeah, you know, you know, Boston police, they ain't bad. That's not the problem. The problem is that those racist cops, the ones who, who are actually really racist. They're, they're just acting on what a lot of people feel or want to do. Like, who's going to translate the, the Cooper lady who, who called the cops on the bird watcher? Let's translate. I am going to call the cops 
so they could come kill you. And they're going to put the fear into you that I can't. She wasn't scared. She was approaching them. Even when we are bigger, they still feel good about approaching us because they know that they have the force of racial inequity behind them. I want you to think, you know, hey, my white friends, shout out to you. Because you, if you mad, you better go, you better go get some sort of survey off the internet because you carrying out these practices, you can't, you acting on it. And if you are subconsciously doing it, I'll have the conversation with you. I can make white right quick with a couple conversations. You know, like if you are offended because you feel like you are not a racist, you have missed the entire point. You have missed it. What can you do, dear white person? Empathize. Don't empathize a little bit. Empathize enough to embarrass yourself to tell your friends who are racist, cool out. Being a non-racist white person. I understand. Being a non-racist white person, you could lose friends. You could lose money. You could lose capital. You could lose opportunity. But no matter what happens, it can never be like anything I would lose. I could lose a son. My only child. All I got. It's cool. Everybody knows I'm into the community. Work with kids. I love kids. Every kid I come across is mine. But losing my son, you will completely lose me. Everybody will. And the threat of that hits differently. So, the heart of other than feeling so bad about how these people are dying and getting killed and lynched, the heart of it goes back to this could be me. This could be my son. With that being said, quarantine has, has, has brought a lot of people together. And shout out to my guy, um, Jamal Griffin, Coach Griffin. Shout out to my guy, Antonio Anderson. Shout out to my guy, Coach Dove. And we created the Urban Coaches Association. And the Urban Coaches Association, I know people are like, oh, man, another black organization. No. 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 
There are white folks who are doing God's work in urban schools with urban athletes. We need y'all too. The Urban Coaches Association, for me, when I was coaching basketball, it was just such a struggle, man. You know, no one, no, I had to dig deep, deep into my own pocket and pay for support and pay for the confidence of my kids because I'm paying for T-shirts and uniforms and tickets and, and college waivers and and and, and college meeting college deadlines and and deposits I got home at 10:30 at night and when I was married I always apologize to my ex-wife because I got home late because I had to see every kid go into the house. I had to look at every single transcript and learn about the NCAA. I had to pause my education. I had to have difficult conversations that I was unqualified to have with players. I had to be a mentor. I had to have adjacent fatherhood. I had to do everything possible to get my kids to the gate. This is for you. College is for you. Life, living, production is for you. High character is for you. And I know there are coaches in gateway towns and cities all over America who have that burden. The last thing I ever want to do is put a kid in college and and he have to sit in the cafeteria while the other kids talk about what they had in high school. And that kid to just think about having nothing. So it hits differently for urban coaches. When nobody comes to games. When we've forgotten about the historically black colleges and universities, we're pulling, the, we're pulling those folks together. So we are building a network of service, support, and development. We're going to develop students as human beings first with their athletic abilities, sure. But we want to, to approach more than their skill and their talent. Because talent is transferable when given energy and support. That's what we're trying to do. That is our mission. And we will get out there. And Boston's a very political culture. culture, You know, it's almost toxic because a lot of people say it and no one does it. We will do it. Urban Coaches Association will get it done. We will get it done. We will give back to the community in a meaningful way, not just the basketball tournament. No, we're not. No disrespect to anyone. And we will travel. We will be mobile. We will do those things. 
We will be present. And so, and if you want to help a kid, just be present for a kid. Just be present. So now we, we assemble weekly. And if you are interested in being a part of the Urban Coaches Association, you don't have to be even someone who coaches in the city. You just have to understand how underrepresented these kids are. Because if you saw it the way that some of us see it, you would stop saying things like, oh, city ball or going to the city. Y'all say that when y'all going to towns. No. We are going to bring meaningful content to urban programs. And we're not reinventing a wheel. We are collaborating. We are a collaborative program. So if you are if you are giving out 50 school, bags of school supplies, we're going to try to get you to 120. If you don't if you're a coach and you don't know how to talk to an athletic director because oh by the way the ADs are mobilizing too. If you don't know how to talk to an athletic director, oh you think I can't dig in the network? We just met with four coaches the other night from HBCUs, and it was so powerful, I, I was sweating. The passion that HBCUs have. HBC, oh my God, HBCUs have more NBA players than a lot of prominent teams. And what they were saying, they needed a talent. Just one, someone ranked in the top 50 to say, hey, change the narrative. I'm going to Hampton. I'm going to Tennessee State. I'm going to Tuskegee. I'm going to Southern. I'm going to Alcorn. And God help me, they will get one. Because it's not exclusive to being black. We are constantly working on how we can help kids. And if you are working with kids, because there's a difference. If you're working with a kid, your question is always, is this the best thing for the kids? If you're profiting from kids, your question is, damn, how could this possibly benefit me? Urban Coaches Association. And we'll have some interviews and we'll break down. But what is happening is powerful. And if you're interested, hit me on Twitter, DM me. Corey underscore legend at Corey underscore legend. No Ian Corey, please. Don't disrespect me. Don't do that. And we are approaching phase one. You know, I want to give a shout out to Marissa Mosley, um, head coach at Boston University Women's Basketball, and my man, Coach Jones from Boston University. My man, 50 grand. I mean, this dude shows up. You know, a coach is real when he calls you thinking about you. Coach Jones is a special guy, man. Like, he called, he didn't have, like, coaches come on and they talk and then that's it. He called with Marissa Mosley and they called me and was like, yo, listen, don't do too much too fast. We love what you're doing. 
but we're going to we're going to support you, but don't burn yourself out. That was so real because they have better things to do. This, my friends, the work, teaching, giving back, coaching, defending social justice. That's just that's what we are doing is justice. Doing right by kids. Urban Coaches Association. This is Corey McCarthy. No face cuts. And my last word is this. We don't expect you to feel our pain. Walk our path. Be in the back seat, front seat of our journey. But we just ask one that you do one thing with all, all this nonsense, this heartbreaking Soul snatching nonsense. Three words. And before you, you know, I know folks are already, you know, before you start thinking that we're labeled, you know, that we're thugs, these are thugs, you know, thugs, 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 every time thugs. But before you, you do that, and if you want, really want to get through and, and, get, and gain ground in this whole mess, I got three words, just and those three words are try to understand. Don't try to be. Don't try to imagine. Try to understand. If you try to understand, but then every human is a part of you and is a part of the brain after it's initially triggered and go into flight or fight mode, there's a part of the brain that says, hey, I need to listen. I may never understand, but listening is just as powerful. Don't understand. Try to understand. No face cuts. I'm out. This is what they encourage. This is what they provoke. This is what you get out of you taking some, a loved one from someone.